everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhausting Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete coach here in Metro Atlanta. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta. We are happy to come to you once again here with a topic podcast. And our topic this week is a race that I dare say that anybody who has listened to this podcast has probably run before. <laughs> That's right. Some would say it's even the gateway drug into long distance running. <laughs> right on, right on. We're going to be talking about 5Ks. Um, before we do that, I did want to give one quick update here. Um, last week, we talked at great length about Castor Semenya, and I realize it's a little bit strange that I'm going to point you to a different podcast. Um, but that's exactly what I'm about to do here. Um, there was a witness in the Court for Arbitration for Sport hearing uh, that Castor Semenya presented or that, that, that presented as part of that arbitration um, and generally fell down on Castor Semenya's side, if you will. Um, and he's a professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder, a guy named Roger Pelkey. He this week was on the Forward podcast, which some of you might recognize is Lance Armstrong's podcast. Uh, Lance Armstrong has two podcasts. One is called The Forward and one is called The Move. The, the Move is the one that's specifically about cycling races. And so right now, I think The Move is actually putting out an addition every single day since the Giro d'Italia is going on. And so every single day the stage will end and they'll put out a short podcast of you know, analyzing the stage, which is great and super interesting, by the way, um, if you're into cycling. The other one is called The Forward, and you can probably get by the name. The idea here is that he likes to, to talk and move forward. He doesn't want to be retrospective with it. He doesn't want to look back on the things that he's done wrong in his life. Um, he wants to move forward here. And so he, he ends up getting a lot of guests that actually are fantastic guests. Um, he, uh, he had a really good edition with Malcolm Gladwell. He had a really good edition with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the physicist from Princeton. Um, they're just super interesting here. But his guest last week was a guy named Roger Pelkey. Now, Roger Pelkey, as I said, is a professor. He's a professor of ethics, and he spoke, focuses specifically, his class focus, focuses specifically on uh, the use and misuse of scientific evidence. Um, and and that is a very broad but very important topic. It is. It's and and it's super interesting. Um, and so he had a lot to say. He was literally a firsthand witness of what went on at the court of arbitration for sport. Um, and so he's been very deeply involved in in this case from its inception all the way through to its resolution uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so he had some really really interesting things to say. Um, the overarching reason why I suggest that everybody listen to it. And it's about forty five minutes long is that there's a level of detail and understanding that he has that's kind of been missed in a lot of the coverage, including our coverage, frankly. Um, and, and I would say that kind of breaks down into four different categories. Um, and I'll, I'll sort of recap those for you real quick. First one, um, he kind of says that um, the IAAF, he doesn't kind of say, he says the IAAF in their press releases has actually really focused on the fact that Castor Semenya uh, has XY chromosomes, uh, and they've actually really moved away from this testosterone threshold, um, which is what the whole case was entirely based on. Um, that as process of discovery, or through the process of discovery for this arbitration case, um, it was found that she had XY chromosomes, and they've kind of been focused on that in a lot of their press releases over the course of the last little while. He points out, and he's right about this, that there are multiple cases uh, throughout history, and, and, and there's medical documentation of females who are XY. Um, women who have given birth who are XY. And mm -hmm. so 
the fact that she's XY, we learned in our sixth grade science classes that XX equals female and XY equals male, and that's the end of it. But in fact, it's long held by the World Health Organization and many other organizations that just because you're XY doesn't necessarily mean that you are genetically a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's an important thing, obviously, to consider. Right? right. So again, use and misuse of scientific evidence. Um, second thing is that he says the IAAF, um, in their own study, found that testosterone actually has a positive impact on the 400 meters, the 800 meters, the hammer throw, and the pole vault. Based on their own research, there's there's those four events are the ones where you really benefit if you have elevated testosterone levels. Which I would say makes intuitive sense. Like if you were to probably ask just either one of us Mm -hmm. without any scientific understanding to just willy-nilly write on a piece of paper which events we thought it had the most effect on, those would probably be it. Probably. Maybe. 400, 800, hammer, pole vault, right? Now, two problems with that. Now, that was their study, right? right? Um, Two problems with that. Number one is that a lot of the data that they gathered was not really, really good data. Um, by their own admission, they took something like a thousand data points, and 20% of those data points were compromised data points. And so it's not really solid data there. But more importantly, they then said, okay, our data shows 400, 800 hammer pole vault, but then the events that they made the rule apply to were 400, 1800, 1500 in mile. Like, why, do, why would you do that? Not only was the science itself bad, but then you didn't even imply your own scientific study in your new rule. And of course, the conclusion of that, the reason why they put, picked those four was because... That's the events Kester ran. Exactly, because they're, they're, they're targeting this one particular athlete, right? Um, now, in addition, the IAAF has said that they can add other events based on what they call new information. Um, so in other words, she's gonna be running the 3000, the Prefontaine Classic she announced. Um, if she just says, okay, they say I can't run the 400, the 800, the 1500, or the mile. Now I'm going to run the 5000 instead. If they wanted to, it's within their prerogative to say, hey, we can add the 5000 because we said that we're going to add events based on new information. And so so not only was their science itself bad, but their application of the science is bad. That's the point, one of the points he makes. The third point he makes is that CAS, the Court for Arbitration of Sport, which is upheld as this kind of really venerable institution, is actually kind of a not great institution Mm -hmm. um that there are institutional pressures to side with the powers that be um there are there are things in there that 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 actually favor the iaaf and the uci and things like that um and what's more they're not bound by precedent um and so every single decision they make is a one-off decision and so if they make a decision in 2016 they don't then have to sort of generally stick to that decision in 2018 or 2019, right? This decision they made about Castor Semenya here in 2019, if they get literally the exact same case with a different athlete next year, they could make the opposite determination because they're not bound by precedent the way that we're bound by precedent in, in courts of law. Um, and kind of interesting. The fi- that to me is almost the scariest part. Yeah, so, so it's not a court. Right. It's called the Court for Arbitration of Sport, but it's actually not a court per se. It, it doesn't follow the, the, the norms of, of a court, um, and that's important as well. Um, and then fourth and finally, and I thought this was super interesting, um, is that he said the practice of having someone artificially lower their testosterone is not medically ethical. Um, and in fact, the World Medical Organization, which is the largest organization in the world of doctors, has advised all of its members not to take part in any efforts that would lower somebody's testosterone. And the reason why is that if you take a person who is healthy, 
um, you take Cassius Semenya, who is a healthy person, right? And you say, we are going to medicate her or we're going to have her undergo surgery, right? To remove whatever the cause is of that, of that testosterone. We're going to have her either undergo surgery or we're going to medicate her. You're turning a healthy person into a patient. And that is medically unethical. The, the, the very first thing that you don't do is you don't do something unnecessary to somebody who is already healthy. Right. Um, and so, so um, in order for somebody to compete, in order for Cassius Semenya to compete, she's going to have to go to a doctor and ask that doctor to do something that the World Medical Organization has told their members not to do because it is contrary to medical ethics. I think that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, and also problematic yeah i mean isn't the first law of medicine do no harm yeah the the, the hippocratic oath right um wow so, so a, few, a few takeaways from from that first okay, of all okay, his, so, so imagine like surgery for example right and so so sorry to interrupt you but to talk about do no harm every surgery carries with it an inherent risk right something yes. can go wrong and so so if you take a healthy person who's going to live for 60 more years and 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 in order to compete in order to to take part in this um, in these events, you say, okay, that person has to have surgery. And so she goes to a surgeon, she elects to have this surgery, she could potentially be killed by this surgery, right? Mm -hmm. And and so thereby performing that surgery would have been unethical surgery, which it, it, it makes sense, but it's not an, an aspect of it that I had ever actually considered. I, I had never considered that kind of legal ethical aspect as well. And it, you know, it, it reminds me of a story so I'll just tell you real quick. So my mom was hit head on by a drunk driver when she was like 22, 23. Yeah, you She had that. 30 plus surgeries on her right leg Oof. throughout her throughout her life. And I remember they were debating about another surgery and this was like in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And I remember that I was in the the room and and the doctor said, "Look, here's the deal. No one comes out of a surgery a quote unquote healthy person. Right. It's just the best of two bad alternatives usually." Right. And you know, if, if you are a surgeon, you're listening and you're like, well, that's not quite right. I, I apologize. But the point is, yeah, and by all means, reach out to us it, and tell us. It's not like Superman where you or, or Spider-Man or some superhero where you get bit by a spider. Hey, now you have superpowers. Right. It, that's not how it works. I right. mean, it really is. Surgery is a is a dangerous and risky proposition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the preference usually is to not have, the best option is to never need a surgery right. or to never need, right. um, you know, some kind of therapy i shouldn't even call it a therapy but um you know non-surgical intervention there you go uh, some kind of intervention mm -hmm. and i think that can sometimes get lost in you know when thinking about this case in particular because we're used to just thinking oh take a pill to get better or mm -hmm. something like that and that's when you talk about especially you know repressing hormones like this yeah. that's that has impact far beyond just oh, yeah. her testosterone level yeah i mean it's going to impact a lot of other um her, you know, it's going to impact her, her behavior. It's going mean, to impact her behavior. It's going to impact her outlook on life. I mean, it, her, and, and, her, her yeah. cognitive processing. Yeah. Um, I should call it ability, but speed and yeah. yeah. Um, In ability. addition to all the physical stuff. Right. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I just thought that was a, an important, that fourth and final thing, the idea that it's not ethical to take somebody who's not a patient and, or who's not unhealthy and turn them into a patient. That, that's medically unethical. And I think that's kind of a fascinating wrinkle that given the fact that you and I aren't doctors, it's something that we hadn't considered or ethicists, something we hadn't considered. Yeah. And that's a very beautiful, um, you know, Occam's razor usually says that the simplest answer is the best answer. <laughs> this is a very yeah. complex case and that's about the simplest argument I've heard yeah. one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So we'll see. He makes the point, David Pilk, or Roger Pilkey does on the forward, that he said, you know, this is actually something we've been struggling with for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so uh, we will probably continue to struggle with it for a while. Um, uh, a listener of the podcast reached out to me and, and, and gave me a hard time because she said I feel she, – she got the sense that we were, we were being really ambivalent about it. And, and I said, we sound ambivalent. Or if we do sound ambivalent, it's because it's difficult and, and gray and, and there's not a real tidy answer right now. Right. Um, exact, and that's not something we're accustomed to in sport. Right. And, you know, they have the phrase exact science. Well, science ain't always exact. No. Um, and this is a prime example of it. Yeah. yeah. Which is especially hard when the stakes are so high. Yeah. Yeah. And the stakes are high. Make no mistake about that. That's something we talked about last week that, that – it's it's more than just cast menu. It's more than just track and field. Yeah. Um, that 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 this this uh, filters out into uh, a lot of different facets of life and and affects uh, millions, if not billions, of people around the world. So very good. Um, all right. Well, to be continued. Of course, we're not going to talk about it every single week, but uh, but we I did want to make sure that that I pointed out. Like I said, kind of strange to point you to a different podcast, <laughs> but uh, but but I do think that was super interesting. Um, yeah. And and as we continue to to come across interesting things, read interesting books, watch interesting films, we we like to bring those up and and bring those to your attention as well. Um, but like I said, today's topic day, and it's about the five k, right? Absolutely. So as Caster Semenya is transitioning to the 3K and 5K, we're going to transition to talk about the uh, 5K (laughs) race here in this podcast. There you go. Um, So to kind of give a bit of background, so a lot of our listeners tend to focus on half marathons, marathons, and you know half Ironman and Ironman. That's kind of that tends to be the main focus of most of our audience because that's what most adult endurance athletes focus on. It's almost kind of a natural progression from you know running 5Ks, 10Ks in high school and college to kind of the bigger events here later in life. Yeah. Um, so that's what most of our podcast is geared towards, is towards, you know, how do you prepare for a marathon? How do you prepare for an Ironman? How do you do these, you know, super long runs in the heat? Things of that nature. And honestly, that's what we do. And that's right. what we've done. And so so, so we're, we're bound to talk a little bit more about that sort of stuff because because we do marathons, you know? We also do 5Ks. Mm-hmm. We, in fact, do more 5Ks than marathons. But, uh, but, but yeah, that, that, because that's what we do, that tends to be uh, where our focus goes. Right, but our primary focus and preoccupation is on right. pr- running faster in the marathon and the half marathon, for right. example. But it is summertime. It's a whopping 93 degrees outside here at about <laughs> 1030 at Kennesaw. Um, summer has arrived in Atlanta. Yep. And summertime means uh, a lot of us are going to be running some 5Ks. You know, it's, whether it be neighborhood 5Ks, the uh, ATC all-comers 5Ks at, at Emory and St. Pius this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we're going to have the Peachtree Road Race, which is a 10K, which is kind of the sister race of the 5K. So, you know, a lot of folks during the summertime, they, they take that time to, to run 5K since, you know, that's obviously not prime season for a marathon or a half marathon. Mm-hmm. So we thought it could be a timely, you know, topic to, to start to dive into you know, why is it important to run 5Ks and incorporate that into your training schedule, even if the marathon or the half marathon or the Ironman is your primary focus? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you train for a 5K, whether it be train, you know, just a few individual workouts to try to kind of rev the engine or even, you know, a full training block? It's, it's important to know how training for a 5K is different if you do want to make that transition to PRing in the 5K. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, we want to talk about how to race a 5K. Right on. Because it is different. You don't need to carry a bunch of gels, for example. Um, <laughs> you're not going to run out of glycogen in a, in a 5K unless something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. Right. Um, so as we kind of move forward into this episode, you know, like I said, we're going to just talk about the 5K 
as a standalone race. That's where you and I kind of made our bones as as high school runners at first, yeah. and then even you as a, a high school coach later yeah. on. So it's it's a race we're both passionate about and one we're both familiar with, even if we don't always get a chance to uh, talk about it as often as we like. Right on, yeah. I mean, it's funny because uh, we, we talk about and, and we focus so much on, on long races, on marathons and such, but if I were to go back somehow and i don't know how i would do this and count every single race that i've ever run better than 80 percent of them are 5ks yeah probably far better than 80 percent. probably upwards of 90 percent are 5k um if i think about every athlete for every race that i've ever coached i am certain that upwards of 90 percent of them are 5ks um and so 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 um yeah, we have a, a, a depth and breadth of experience in 5Ks, um, both as coaches and in athletes, that we just don't really take the opportunity to talk about all that much. And given the fact that it's summertime and there's a 5K every weekend from now until, well, there's a 5K every weekend from now until the end of time, frankly. But <laughs> but there's some really cool 5Ks in the summer. Um, and so, so yeah, the fact that there's so many, so many 5Ks, we're sort of in 5K season here, it seems like a good opportunity. And by the way, I mean, even if you've run a whole bunch of 5Ks, there, there's there's different types of 5K challenges. You just mentioned like the Atlanta Track Club All Comers meets. Um, mm. We had a few people last year um, who who raced a 5K on the track, 12 and a half laps on the track. It's a different experience, right? Yes. Um, I raced a 5K last year on the track, and it was the first time I'd done that in a while. And and I'd, I I remembered it because I've raced lots of 5Ks on the track. Um, there's some muscle memory and some deep subconsciousness there that goes on. Um, but but yeah, it's different. Um, and it's a different kind of challenge. So I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast last year, but I remember watching you running that 5K on the track. And it was very it was very interesting to see because you clearly were someone who had mastered that level or mastered that distance in the way that you knew how to hone in on your pace and really kind of dial it in for 12 and a half laps. Mm-hmm. And that was beautiful to watch. I mean, you see that Thanks, in all buddy. sports where you know, like whether it be the pitcher or the point guard or someone who really has kind of learned how to master their their craft. It was interesting to see you do that on the track. I mean, it, it, it's pretty hard to master the marathon, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So to, to kind of see you on the track was, was uh, it was fun to watch. What's funny is that is that the pace of that race that you watched that day was about 10 seconds per lap slower than the pace at which I PR'd mm-hmm. uh, 20 plus years ago. I was like, but when you adjust right? for age, yeah, it's... yeah, yeah. When you adjust for age, it's still pretty good. But but it's 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 sort of interesting that that once you kind of get down the broad outlines of how to actually race a 5K, mm-hmm. you can you can apply those skills even as your pace changes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and still today, I feel like if you say, all right, George, you're racing a 10K, I'm like, all right, good. I know what a 10K kind of feels like. Yeah. Um, and I can go out at a particular effort level, and then the speed kind of takes care of itself. Um, so. For sure. And I would say, too, because it's really about knowing – you know how fast your your muscles and ligaments and tendons need to be moving, and how how much horsepower you need to call upon in your lungs yeah. at what point in the race. Yeah. And what's great about the five k is you can run so many of them in a given year mm-hmm. that you can build up a set of reps mm-hmm. so much quicker than you can for like the marathon. You really can't. I would say you can't do more than about two marathons in a year. Mm-hmm. You know, and really kind of have an A level race. Yeah. Whereas the five k, you can really focus you can really run a lot of fast 5ks in a given mm-hmm. year yep. and start to build up that repetition and start to build up that muscle memory of here's what it takes to 
really kind of redline a, a 5K and run a fast 5K. Absolutely. And unless you're running a championship race, which some people do, uh, unless you're training for an ACC championship or a Masters 5K championship or something else like that, if you blow it one weekend, you can go out the next weekend and, and run a 5K again. You right. Know, you, you and I talked about that after Chicago a couple of years ago, that that it's frustrating when a marathon, if you blow it, well, you have to wait six months and try again. A 5K, you blow it, you can go out the next weekend and, and not blow it and, and still accomplish your goal for that training block, which is nice. That's right. That's yeah. right. So it, it's a fun distance. Sure. So we, we can kind of start off by, you know, comparing, you know, the, the two distances, whether it be the, the 5K um, and, and the marathon. Because it's a lot, like I said, most of our content so far has been about marathon training and, and triathlon training. Mm-hmm. So there are, I would say, two very common threads or, or primary themes that are consistent when training for the 5K and training for the for the marathon, for example. First is the need for aerobic development and the need to utilize running volume True. to build that aerobic engine. Yep. So that's why I can tell you a lot of high school coaches during the summertime when they're trying to get their, their high school athletes ready to go for the, the season of 5Ks coming up in the fall, a lot of them set mileage goals to say, all right, we want to run 500 miles this summer. We want to run 600 miles this summer. And it's because the 5K, just like the marathon, really kind of draws on that aerobic base you know much more than you would think that's why it's interesting because in the marathon you never run as far as that race distance in any training run Mm -hmm. however in the 5k you're often running two and three times longer than that 5k distance during your easy runs because Mm -hmm. there still is that need to build that aerobic endurance there still is that need for you know easy mileage you know the one hour steady easy runs to try to build that aerobic base because you're still going to have to draw on that base in the 5k that's right that's right yeah so we talked to her on so many occasions on this podcast about how important it is to keep your easy runs easy and that the bulk of the time that you spend be it while you're running or while you're cycling and running if you're a if you're a triathlete or a cyclist for that matter the bulk of the time that you spend is going to be in zone two um if you say, all right, now I'm going to train for 5K, so that means everything's going to be shorter and faster. And so you go out and now you're just going to do all your runs at zone three and zone four. That's incorrect. Mm-hmm. Still, even with the 5K, the bulk of your running is going to be done in zone two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm glad you started with that because that's something, like you said, that does not change. Right. Um, so that that's the first thing um, to kind of to consider when, or the first kind of common thread between training for a marathon and training for a 5K. The second, I would say, is the need to, you know, regardless of the race you're focusing on, to maintain some economy work, some really fast, intense um, work throughout Mm, the year to make sure you're not losing an edge. And this is regardless of the race distance. Um, So in the shorter races, you're trying to improve your economy, you know, to make sure you're really kind of running efficiently from, you know, the, the first, from the moment the gun goes off until you cross the finish line. And in the marathon or the triathlon, you're really just trying not to lose that economy, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, whereas one, you're trying to really focus on increasing efficiency and re- increasing economy to make sure you're running fast from beginning, from the get-go. Um, you know, the, the longer stuff, you are a bit more focused on just trying not to, to lose that efficiency or lose, you know, economic um, or efficient strides. I'm glad. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think it's fun that you kind of said these two things here at the outset. Uh, the two things that the marathon and the 5K have in common. Um, the first one you said is that you're still going to be running easy. That's something that marathoners would do that 5K specialists might not do. Mm-hmm. 
the other thing, the second thing you just said, focusing on economy and still doing a little bit of really fast stuff and strides and that sort of thing mm-hmm. throughout the course of the entire year, 12 months a year, that's something that 5K people would be likely to do, but marathoners would not be likely to do. Right. <laughs> so, so, so it's kind of, I, 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 li- I think it's very, very, uh, very beautiful and symmetrical that, that you kind of went in both directions there. That's right. And I totally planned that. So right on. <laughs> um, and, but, but, I think, but I think it does speak to the fact that, you know, at, at the heart of it and underlying this entire conversation about 5Ks is that running and racing 5Ks will make you a better runner overall, which will in turn make you a better marathoner. Right. Um, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Running and racing a marathon will make you a better runner overall, and that'll make you better a better 5K runner. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you might need to spend some time prior to that marathon doing some long runs, some marathon-specific work in order to, to be a better marathoner. I'm not trying to say that you run a 5K one weekend, and then you're going to go out the next weekend, and based on your 5K training, you're going to run a brilliant marathon. I'm not saying that. Right. Um, and, and likewise, you're not going to you know run the week, your, your best 5K the weekend before a marathon because you're just so well-trained at that point you might need to do some more 5k specific stuff but i am saying is that once you decide that you're going to run a marathon that doesn't mean that you can never run a good 5k again Mm -hmm. right so now that we've talked about the similarities between the marathon and the 5k now let's jump into the 5k and we can talk about how best to prepare for a 5k and how to train for a 5k Mm -hmm. um so you know when when thinking about the types of work needed to prepare prepare for the 5k specifically and we're going to talk about this in the context of if you are have a full training cycle where you're trying to pr on the 5k and also in the context of hey i want to do the peachtree road race in july i have a big target race marathon in october november Mm -hmm. but i want to get a few workouts in to Mm -hmm. you know run a decent you know 10k or or 5k in, in the summertime sure so I would say there, when talking about the types of workouts needed to prepare for the 5K, they can be broken down into two um, race-specific categories or two race-specific you know speed workouts. Um, you know, in, in my mind at least. So first, there's training for the 5K race space specifically and being able to run your 5K pace um, at all. So just saying to yourself, okay, I just want to tap onto that speed, that intensity level that is required for the 5K. Um, so that, that, you know, is not something where you're trying to necessarily build endurance. You know, you're not trying to do um, a bunch of 400s at your 5K pace, but you're just trying to tap into that speed and kind of rev the engine, so to speak. You're, mm-hmm. you're turning the lights on and just saying, okay, mm-hmm. here's what it takes to even get to that pace. Mm-hmm. Second, would, The second type of workout is really sustaining that 5K pace over the span of 5,000 meters. So you're saying, okay, now I know that I can run this fast for like a lap or two. Mm-hmm. How do I stretch that out into a 5K, mm-hmm. right? How do I hone in on that pace and really build up the strength your the aerobic power the vo2 max to run that pace over the span of 12 and a half laps around the track mm-hmm. so those are the two kind of basic buckets i look at or, or divide the different workouts into mm-hmm. when thinking about the different types of 5k um specific speed work one 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 way that i think about that when i think about those two different buckets if i'm to use your word there mm-hmm. is to think about the speed and the distance Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you're thinking about w- one set of workouts and this is, again, this is not your easy runs. Um, you know, the bulk of your running is going to be easy runs, yeah. right? Um, we're talking about the actual workouts you're going to do on your hard days, which is only about 20% of the work you're going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so you're still going to be doing, you know, all your easy runs and kind of going out and spending 45 minutes to an hour, just like you would if you were training for a marathon, right? Um, you're still going to be going out and doing a long run at, at, at an easy pace. It's just your long run can probably top out about an hour and a half as opposed to topping out at, you know, something much longer than that. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but, 
uh, I would also say that 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 um, what you're saying here is is you need to make sure that the pace itself is a pace at which you feel comfortable. It's a pace that you ingrain into your muscle memory mm-hmm. um, and that you ingrain into to your pain centers. Um, and then it's about extending that pace out over the course of the distance. Those right. are the two different types of workouts you're going to be trying to do. Correct. You almost start with the speed itself and then you layer on the distance mm-hmm. um, as, as you go along. Mm-hmm. And I, I should also note too... Um, well, real quick, you, you talked about 20% of the works or so being, you know, the hard workouts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, generally I've liked to do, or I've noticed a lot of, um, you know, successful programs, they have about two days of speed workouts mm-hmm. when focusing on the 5K, like a Tuesday, Thursday track workout routine. Yeah. yeah. So that's important to think about because sometimes when people hear the numbers, they're not quite sure how that translates to a, a weekly schedule. Um but that kind of puts into context how much more the focus really is on that fast, you know, mm-hmm. VO2 max work. Because not only are you doing your Tuesday track workouts, mm-hmm. but your your Tuesday track workouts probably be a little more intense mm-hmm. or a little longer. But then you're going to come back and do another track workout on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And that is a bit of a different mindset mm-hmm. than having one track workout on Tuesday, mm-hmm. which is generally, I would say most marathoners think, that's like their third or fourth most important workout of the week or so mm-hmm. yeah as opposed to that being no that's one of your that is your most important or your second most important workout of the week mm-hmm. and then you're going to do something very similar again 48 hours later and then you might race on saturday right well, in addition like like a tune-up race or, or something like that on saturday and so so yeah and that and that that of course is for people who are running six to seven days a week we're talking about right yes um and so so to kind of make sure that we're clear on that like if you if you're if you're running six or seven days a week and, and you're going out and you do you do a hard workout on Tuesday, a hard workout on Thursday. Yeah, that's kind of what you're talking about there. If you only run three or four days a week and you cross training some of the other days, then then maybe you'd only have that one hard day in there or something like that. Um, but but yeah, uh, I'm glad that you sort of put that in in more practical terms. Yeah, and I, I should say too when when we when we talk about these two different buckets of you know um, first is you know kind of turning the lights on so to speak and just tapping into that 5k pace for a few reps first kind of building up that endurance. I think it's important to note too that folks who are new to sports, who maybe started running marathons or started doing triathlons as an adult, you know, they probably need to take a slightly different approach than folks who, you know, like you and I either ran in high school and, and ran in college, or even folks who played soccer growing up, who kind of had some level of kind of that, that quick burst and, and, you know, long athletic events where they did start to build up some level of um, lung capacity that maybe someone who's new to sports entirely may not have. You know, mm-hmm. if you know if you grew up playing tennis, soccer, basketball, you know, sport where you are having to kind of, you know, stop and start quite a bit and, and really kind of put out um, an aerobically intense effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's certainly something I think that is that is important to think about for those who you know maybe were not athletes prior to marathon running or, or to triathlons. You know, you know they really need to kind of start from the beginning and start to build out that the neural pathways you know they haven't even started to to run on their toes yet mm-hmm. you know because when you're running a 5k you're not heel striking you're not running on your midfoot you're really yeah, kind of I am. <laughs> <laughs> but you are really having to kind of generate a lot more force in your stride which only yeah. comes from yeah. um the more intense work so it is yeah. It, it sometimes I, I, I still heel strike in a 5k just because I'm a heel striker and, and a lot of people do but but yeah there, there definitely is more of a it's it's not it's it's it's, it's definitely a more efficient movement yeah, yeah. And, but the point is it can 
sometimes when transitioning from from the marathon or, or triathlon or Ironman to the 5K, you also need to consider, okay, what was I doing the 10 years prior? Because um, yeah. that is something to take into context. And it's not something we always think about because we don't always think about, well, did you grow up playing soccer? Did you grow up playing you know, a lot of tennis, for example? Mm-hmm. Or is this level of speed something that's really new to you? Right. So that was just something I wanted to do, a note I wanted to throw out there because I do think that is kind of a, important to, uh, to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with that said, you know, I figured we could go over a, a few different of our, our favorite workouts that we like to prescribe mm-hmm. All right. for improving the 5K or for addressing that, that 5K speed mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we can just go back and forth and each share like one or two that we like. Sounds good. And then we can either critique or praise the, the workout <laughs> offer. Are we going to keep Also, it? I'm worried because if I propose a workout and then I see it on a Tuesday. <laughs> That's right. Workout. Yeah, yeah those, those of you who are listening to come to the Tuesday track morning or Tuesday morning track workout, maybe you'll see this workout. I don't know, in a couple of days here. Uh, no, Pressure's on not to offer anything too hard. That's right. That's right. So, and 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 I imagine we're going to present them in the buckets that you were talking about before, right? And so yes. so in the in the build the speed bucket, uh, then then carry the speed over the distance bucket. Yep. All right. So we can start with the the uh, the turn the lights on, so to speak. The just right. kind of touching at the speed. Mm-hmm. First and foremost for me is twelve by two hundred meters mm-hmm. with a two hundred meter float in between. Float. Okay. Mm-hmm. Float or it, it could also be a rest. Okay. This is where we have to decide. All right, what kind of background do you have? Are you someone who's done a lot of five Ks, mm-hmm. or is this something that really is new to you and you need a a two hundred meter you know slow jog rest, mm-hmm. or you know do you want to do a floating rest? Okay. Um, the hardest part about this workout is just getting up to speed and getting your legs turned over because you're doing the 200 meters at 5k pace. Okay. It is, it can be a little quick, you know, um, you know, the first time or two, especially if you're, you're used to a bit more of the slower distances or mm-hmm. the slower paces. Um, the 200 meter recovery should allow you for about a 90% recovery. Mm-hmm. You're not quite fully recovered, but you're pretty darn close. Well, you shouldn't be have your your hand over your head or, or, or mm-hmm. grabbing your waist you know yeah. halfway through the workout because right. the point is just like i said just turn the lights on mm-hmm. and just start to build that neural pathway and kind of reactivate those so that you can start to get ready for the more intense stuff later down the road yeah so i would say um so i i, I like that workout you know 12 200s at 5k pace with 200 rest um i would say that if you change the rest to a float you're actually changing the bucket that you put it in and so 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 if you change the rest to a float, you go now from it, it's less about being able to run the pace and more about being able to maintain the pace. You move mm-hmm. it from from one category to the other, um, which I think is fine, which I think is good. Right. But but if you're allowing yourself less recovery there um, or if you even, even shorten the recoveries um, a little bit, um, yeah. that that will in turn um, make um, make it more about being able to run 5K pace not just outright, but being able to run it despite the fact that you're kind of tired. Right, um, you're building you, fatigue. Yeah, and that, that you're carrying the fatigue into to each individual piece. Um, so, but yeah, I, I will often, um, with people who have not run 5Ks before, and I do this, by the way, with like swimmers and stuff too, mm-hmm. um, you know, short repeats at the race pace and, and just kind of to feel that pace, to feel what it feels like. Um, and sometimes if, you know, 200 meters, which is one-eighth of a mile at 5K pace, it's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, it, it should feel quick, obviously, but it's not something, I mean, you cross finish line, you're like, I could have kept on going for 
two and three quarters. I mean, you, you should feel like you should have been able to keep on going, right? Um, very much. Um, but, but yeah, part of it is, is building in that, that sense of pace and what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah, very good. Um, all right, my turn? Yep. All right, so one of my favorites for, for getting to feel the pace, generally speaking, um, and, and to getting to, to, to build the speed and the, the, the ability to move your legs at that pace um, is 400, 300, 200, 100. There we go. Um, and you can do sets of this. That, that adds up to 1,000 meters a piece, mm-hmm. right? And so you can do sets of this depending on kind of where you are in your training cycle and stuff like that. You can do three sets. You can do four, four sets. You can do five sets. The 400 is at 5K pace. So the 400 is is just whatever your, your, your 5K pace wants to be. Your 300 is a little bit faster than that. Your 200 is a little bit faster than that. Your 100 is about the fastest you can go. Don't hurt yourself by sprinting all out here, but about the fastest you can go. Um, and you take um, either the same amount of rest as what you just did, or you take 200 meters rest throughout the whole thing. Sometimes with some people, I'll give like an extra quarter rest, like a, like a full lap rest after each set or something like that. I play with the rest a little bit, depending on where mm-hmm. people are in their training cycles and how much time we have and things like that. Right. Um, but what that does is, is it gives you a 400 at that speed, right? at that 5k pace and then it gives you things that are faster than that 5k mm-hmm. pace right that, that's getting you accustomed to and and ultimately it's making that 5k pace feel kind of easy mm-hmm. um and and su- such that you can relax into that 5k pace when you're actually in your race itself yeah and, and that's important too because i mean when you're training your body you know at, at a race intensity that's a little bit faster than the race you're actually training for that mile 3k pace Mm -hmm. you're training your body to turn on that neuromuscular pathway that are needed for the 5k at that more intense pace right so you're you're kind of you're you're sort of kind of building the highway so to speak within the legs that you can use Mm -hmm. you know when you need that 5k for the full length of time for that that full 12 and a half laps without rest Mm -hmm. but you're doing it in a much quicker burst and you're allowing your you're making sure your body that the tendons, the ligaments, and the muscles are capable of running at that speed required for a 5K mm-hmm. by just kind of giving a quick shock to the system and letting it adapt appropriately without putting too much aerobic stress on. This is a workout, by the way, that people on the Tuesday morning track work have seen several times. <laughs> yes. When you said so, three, four, two, one, I was like, uh, yeah, you've heard that before. I am yeah. very familiar with yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. very good. Um, tell me another one of yours. Sure. So we'll go on to the second bucket. How about that? We'll do one for each. So mine is the uh, one-mile repeats with 400-meter recovery jog. Mm -hmm. Um, I generally like to prescribe three to four miles um, total for training for the 5K. Um, Five miles, maybe if you are someone really gunning for for a PR and you've been doing this for many, many, many years. But for most folks, three to four miles really is more than enough. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a game-changer. It's much harder to do a 5K pace for a full mile mm-hmm. than for a 200-meter rep, for, for sure. example. So, you know, if you have the time, if you're someone who's building for a 5K PR over you know, a span of 12 weeks or, or 16 weeks, I highly suggest building up from, you know, 200-meter reps to 400-meter reps to 800-meter reps and then eventually 1,600-meter reps. But this, to me, is the ultimate kind of 5K, um, you know, aerobic power um, training workout because you know you're really having to dig deep to get four miles at 5k pace mm-hmm. with a 400 meter rest mm-hmm. a 400 meter rest is what allows you to run longer than race pace at race pace longer than race distance at race pace mm-hmm. yes thank you but um it's still going to be an intense workout i mean when you come around the track that third lap of the first rep you're going to be hurting mm-hmm. 
And, you know, to your point, when you talk about the rest too, for this particular workout, I'm less concerned with getting too much rest as I am with putting in the necessary distance of running at the appropriate intensity level. You really want to try to focus on, all right, how do I get all four of these miles at 5K pace? Mm. If it means running a very slow 400 jog, that's fine. Mm -hmm. If it means even extending it to a 600 meter jog after that third lap, if you really need it, Mm -hmm. that's a far better outcome than falling off at the end of the workout. For sure. Um, Because for this one, it really is about how do I get four miles worth of work at that 5K intensity level? Mm Yeah, um, my my speed on rest intervals is a shuffle. Yeah. Just as speaking as an athlete, mm-hmm. um, and and I've told several people when we see them on the track, I should be able to tell by looking at you whether you're in the repeat or whether you're in the rest. Yeah. Um, and and if it looks the same, <laughs> then then clearly you're either not running hard enough during the repeat or you're not taking enough rest during the rest or both. Yeah. Right. Um, and so so it should be it should be pretty plain. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, my my speed, like I said, it's it's barely more than a walk. And, and yeah. I feel perfectly comfortable with that because the point of recovery during a workout is to recover and to be able to do the next one well. Um, the the add a quick wrinkle to yours. Um, I like to sometimes and because and you, you've joked about this with me before, I like to put multiple speeds into workouts. Yeah. Um, and so I I. I I, I like to do that just to mix things up, um, but I also think that it's it you kind of get a two for one that you can train different physiological systems inside a single workout. Um, I like to do uh, mile repeats, but then in between each mile repeat, add a 400 repeat, mm-hmm. and so so three by a mile, but but you do a 1600 a mile um, at your 5k pace. Mm-hmm. You rest a 400, then do a 400 at about mile pace. Then you rest a 200, then you do two more sets of that. Yep. You see what I'm saying? And so so I like that because you still end up getting that that faster, that, that amount of time at that 5K pace that you were talking about, that amount of distance at that 5K pace. But you add in just that little bit more fatigue that comes from those 400s, those faster 400s there, um, in order to get that much more of a boost out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I like doing that as well. Um, that's one of my favorites. Um, the other, uh, the other workout I'll mention, um, uh, and this is yet another one that people at the track have seen many, many times, um, is, is thousand meter repeats, kilometer repeats. Yeah. Um, um, and so I like to do, uh, six by for, for, for somebody who's doing a five K outright. And if we have the time and so, so we don't always end up doing six of them when we're on the track because we don't have the time. Um, but six by a thousand with, uh, with 200 rest. And again, it's a very easy 200 rest. Um, starting at about 5k pace and if you can dip down a little bit over those course of the last couple of repeats there I always encourage people to do it um, but I like the thousand meter repeat distance um, uh, for one thing because it's nice and neat because when you do the thousand two and a half laps and then you have the 200 rest you know it's, it's kind of neat you always get to start at the starting line but um. by the way quick side story <laughs> about a year ago I was doing a track workout with I can't remember who else was with me and we ended up at the 200 meter mark, mm-hmm. and we both said ourselves, we must have messed something up. George would never have us sitting at the 200 meter mark. We that's must right. have missed the 200 right. rest or something. Yeah, so so, so that's that's <laughs> definitely kind of part of why I like it, uh, frankly. But 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 it's also because I really like the thousand meter. Um, I really like that distance um, because it's just over a half mile. And if you stop at a half mile, it's all like that, that extra 200 meters doesn't seem like a lot. But getting that extra 25%, getting that extra 200 meters 
it 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 carries it out just far enough to where it's mentally and physically much more difficult than than simply stopping at a half mile, stop, stopping at 100 meters. Especially by that third rep. Yeah, yeah. Now, 1,200 meter repeats, by the way, are profoundly difficult mm-hmm. um, for the same reason. Because because at 1,200 meters, you run it fast like you would an 800, but then you have to carry on for a whole nother lap. Um, and so I, d- I don't tend to give people 1,200 meter repeats because it is so, so, so hard. Um, and so I tend to stop at, at 1,000 meters for, for repeats um, uh, for for most folks there. Um, and, yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, and, and one kind of note, too, you know, it we talked about the kind of the two different buckets, you know, mm-hmm. um, just tapping into that speed and then building out, you know, the uh, the endurance, that second bucket. The stamina. That, se- the, the, that second bucket of workouts those can be tough. Yeah. You know, as hard as it is to turn on those lights and to run at that 5K intensity effort, it's probably even harder to complete those workouts and stretch so. out the intensity level. I think so. Um, the 5K is a hard race. Um, it's hard to hurt that much for that long, so you need to do the longer workouts that, that don't give you much of a break and really kind of um, draw out the length of time that you mm-hmm. you know put in the race at a long intensity level and make you strong enough to hold that pace or, you know, to hold the neuromuscular recruitment patterns long enough, you know, to to complete a 5K race at a very fast pace. But, you know, that's where, you know, the, the bread is made. I mean, that's where, <laughs> that's where you see most of the physiological gains. That's where you see most of the improvements in your race time from putting in those long, tough workouts. And, and it's also interesting, too, because, you know, we talk, you know, a lot on this podcast about how, you know, we don't always have to do every workout at race pace, but then you'll, you know, folks listening to this episode will notice that we talk a lot about doing 5Ks at, or doing 5K workouts at 5K race pace. That's because that 5K intensity level is interesting because it, it's the only real pace that you need to run for your race that sits nicely into a physiological checkbox, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that 5K pace really hones in on your VO2 max. Um, you know, in, in you know other race distances like the marathon you're not really honing in on one physiological zone or one mm-hmm. physiological um system when that you're tapping into it's it's really kind of an inter- interdependent set of systems but the 5k really does stress that vo2 max it really does stress your aerobic power so it's kind of nice that when training for a 5k you can run the 5k pace and a build the muscle memory needed to mm-hmm. you know hone in on that 5k pace you need but you're also really tapping into the exact physiological system you need to build up in order to run fast. So you you can kind of hit the psychological and physiological buckets at the same time, which mm-hmm. is pretty rare because it's one of the only races distances where that is actually the case. Right on. Um, and I think that actually transitions into the last part of the, that we wanted to talk about with the 5K, right? About how to race it. That's um, right. And, and, and the particular challenges that are going to face you when you actually try to race a 5K. Um the 5K, it's funny because as a marathoner and as someone who's done some long course triathlons before, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, every now and then people will, will, will say, oh, you run a 5K this weekend. Oh, that's easy for you. You run a marathon. Yeah. And it's like, no, it ain't. <laughs> you clearly haven't run a fast 5K. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you're doing something wrong here, right? That that if, if a 5K is easy for you, yeah, it's shorter. 
yeah, it doesn't take as much time. But 5Ks are profoundly difficult and, and, and they're intense and painful. Um, I found that a lot of people who, who do marathons or do long course triathlons, um, they shy away from doing 5Ks because they don't really like to go to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really like to push themselves to that degree and to have their heart bound, you know, beating that hard. Um, right. they, don't, they, they are able to take the long suffering and the grueling mm-hmm. type stuff. Right, they can't take the the really super intense, go to the well type stuff, right. um, and and I can appreciate it and I can understand that. Um, but if you're going to run your best 5K, if you're looking at the charts that say this is how fast you're going to marathon, this is how fast you'd be able to run a 5K, then then that's the kind of effort you're going to have to put in. Right, and from a resiliency perspective, it can be really hard to dial into a 5K right from the get go, yeah. especially if you're used to a marathon where, as as we've talked about in this podcast, where you're um, high five in the crowd and just kind yeah. of warming into it or yeah. warming up into that, you know, go to the well moment yeah. as opposed to the 5k where it almost hits you, you know, a mile and a half into the race. Right. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about kind of, you know, what it takes to, to race a 5k. Right. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, I think if, if you're new to, to 5ks or if you've never really kind of gone for a PR effort, the first one's going to be a bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> I mean, it really is because, I mean, you'll notice like when people go to the starting line, people are actually like crouched and ready to go, yes. right? It's not like a marathon where people are kind of standing around and like hanging out in the porta potty line, and then all of a sudden the the gun goes off and they're kind of cruising into the the start the the start of the race. Right. Um, and you know, another thing too is you know, when you're running the five k, just like you mentioned, you have to be focused for fifteen to thirty minutes you know, the entirety of that 15 to 30 minutes. And that's a long time to stay mentally engaged at the highest level. So it can be good to, to practice that and to, to A, you know, maybe sign up for some tune-up races mm-hmm. or to even use a 5K as a tune-up race so you can kind of start to build that ability to, you know, stay engaged and really kind of push yourself for an extended period of time at a high-intensity level. Yeah, it's it's weird, actually. So so on the on this topic of, of tune-up races for a 5K, 5Ks, as we were talking about before, 5Ks are one of the weird races that you actually can use a 5K as a tune-up race for a 5K. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and and I realize that sounds kind of weird because you think, oh, you're going to do a half marathon as a tune-up race for a marathon. You can do a 5K as a tune-up race for a 5K. Mm-hmm. You choose a 5K that's not as important, it's not as competitive or something like that that's not your big target, and you can race that race, and that can be your tune-up race for your actual 5K. Um, I think that, that that serves a really important mental uh, purpose. Um, running a tune-up 5K for your Focus 5K. Um, I remember last year um, when I had been injured for a while and and I had just started doing workouts again and I signed up for a 5K. And the longest repeats I had done were about three minutes long and then I got out into the 5K and about six minutes in the race, I was like, holy crap, this is a long way. <laughs> this is not a repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's because my mind was accustomed to, okay, running that hard but running it for three minutes and getting a rest. Right. Um, and I was prepared for it physically, um, but mentally I needed I needed to go into a tune up race. I needed to do that race as a tune up race because I needed to remember how to keep the pedal to the metal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it was good because ultimately by the time I got to my actual target race, that wasn't a struggle anymore. Yeah. Right. Th- that's a great point. And I would say you can even run multiple tune up races. Oh, yeah. You know, you could even dip into like maybe running a mile race, you know, four weeks prior to your a race and then a 5k two weeks later and then your your a 5k yeah um at the end of the month or so yeah. which you know as you discussed before just makes it a very different experience yeah 
Um, but you kind of need to practice that feeling of running fast but controlled and then mm-hmm. letting loose for the final half mile of the race mm-hmm. all the way to the finish line. Because mm-hmm. um, you don't get to have like a kick necessarily at the end of a half marathon or a marathon the way you do with a 5K. Yeah. And if you do have a kick at the end of a marathon, A, you're either a world record holder, <laughs> or B, you did something very, very wrong. Back off, pal. Just because I ran my fastest mile of 2019 in the last mile of the Flying Pig Marathon doesn't mean I did anything wrong. That's true. I forgot <laughs> I was talking to. That's true. Um, <laughs> good anyway, point. Keep going. Keep going. Um, so, you know, when racing a 5K, <laughs> you know, I like to break it down to three parts. Very similar to the marathon. It, you can break it up in, into kind of three different sections. Mm. Um, the nice thing about a 5K is the three different sections almost play nicely into mile one, yeah. mile two, mile three. Yeah. You know, the first mile, you're just trying to hone in on your pace. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're running around a track, that can be very helpful to say, you know what, I'm just going to focus on this lap mm-hmm. and running exactly the pace that I want to run. Right. Almost regardless of how um, it feels. I should say how regardless of how it feels. But I can just stay relaxed and just control this lap and just focus on running this lap at exactly the pace i want to right the second lap or the second um section the second mile that's where things start to really get tough Mm -hmm. that's when your muscles start screaming at you that's when when your um, knees start hurting your your calves and your quads start kind of asking for for some relief that's when you got to really dial into that intensity level Mm -hmm. and that's when you really need to say okay, I'm going to just focus on one lap at a time or even, you know, one half lap at a time to keep up and sustain the pace that I wanted to set in that first mile. Mm-hmm. And then the third mile, that's when you start to just unleash, mm-hmm. you know, everything you have. You just say, we only have two laps left or three laps left. I'm just going to give everything I have here. Mm-hmm. So there's establishing the pace, maintaining the pace, and then letting loose the final section. I would agree with that, and I think that that it's it's not that different from other races in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the big di- I mean, in a marathon, you go out in the in the first third of a marathon, you're trying to establish your race and establish your effort level and all that sort of thing. The second segment of the race, second third of the race, if you will, um, you, you're trying to to make sure that you're taking care of business and and holding the pace that you're doing and and all that sort of thing. Now, I, I think I've said this before on this race that the third quarter of any race is always the most difficult part of the race absolutely Um, and so so when you go past halfway um that's where it's going to be really difficult and so in a in a 5k that's basically from mile 1.5 until about mile two and a quarter right um and so it's going to be very very difficult during that time but that's the same thing in a marathon from about um uh from about mile 13 to about mile 18 it's very difficult to hold on to your pace right um, that, that can be very hard. It's certainly true in a mile. The third lap, it's really, really hard to hang on to your pace there during that time. Um, but then uh, the final mile or the final third, the final section, you're, you're kind of hanging on. You're kind of doing the best you can to hang on and, and pull it together and finish strong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the 5K is very similar to other races in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. It, it feels a little different because it's a com- compressed timeline yeah. and as we said, the, yeah. the intensity level is a bit more. And yeah. it is different to have like a kick at the end of a race versus you know just kind of giving everything you have and still kind of struggling your way to the finish line as as a lot of us are doing you know post uh or for that 25th and 26th mile of a marathon mm-hmm. um but as you said that's where it's it's very very similar is you kind of still break it up into thirds and from a kind of macro perspective it's still the basic mindset 
Mm-hmm. Still the same mindset for, yeah. for all three segments. Yeah. And you said what I meant to say, that, that you actually, you just progress through those stages much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in, in each individual stage, like in even in the opening when you're establishing your pace, your pace is so much faster that you're not going to be high-fiving people and, and – you know, reading signs and interacting with volunteers and all that sort of thing. The way that you, the way that you do in a marathon. No, right? if if you're settling in the five k, then you're slowing down, yeah. um, and that's where it's a bit different. It's mm-hmm. it's very much a race where there's truly no timeouts, no breaks. You're not grabbing water mm-hmm. or anything of that nature. Yeah, particularly um, if you're doing it on a track. Yes, exactly. So it's a bit different, but for, for me personally, it's my favorite race distance. Maybe it's because that's you know what what got us all started in, in mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. Um, but but it's a fun one. I, I certainly recommend doing, you know, a, a 5K once every few months or so, if nothing else, but to, to kind of turn the engine on or, or turn the lights on, so to speak, and kind of remember what it's like to run at that intensity level and to learn how to race that distance while also improving your VO2 max along the way, which is a nice bonus. It almost serves as a workout as much as it does a race. Right on. Right on. I agree. I agree. Um, and, and 5Ks are so cool, too, because... Like we said at the outset here, and we're kind of circling back to the beginning here as we near the finish, um, that there's always there's always a 5K, mm-hmm. and and in your neighborhood they're gonna have a 5K to raise money to buy a, a drug dog for the police department, right? You know, or or to raise money for the the foundation of your local school or something like that. There's always plenty of opportunities to run 5Ks for really good reasons um, uh, to be part of your larger community as well. Um, and so, so yeah, um, it's it's something that, that can benefit you uh, socially. It's something that can benefit you certainly physically as well. It's also much more financially more accessible right? distance yeah um pay 30 25 to 30 dollars to run a 5k <laughs> right right and then you can be at home you know doing yard work that afternoon right. and you know kind of Absolutely. attending to other duties first first the, the more longer stuff so right on right on in praise of the 5k indeed well patrick we appreciate you being with us once again talking about this race distance that you and i have both done many many times final words looking forward to the next 5k that's all i can say there me too me too thanks for joining us everybody And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash performance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollander, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.